How are we doing, church family? A little fired up here, a little fired up back there. We got a little couple of pockets here fired up. Giving you a warning, I'm going to get fired up today. So uh, I want to welcome all of our friends and family online here today. Thank you so much for joining us here today. You could have been anywhere in the internet, but you chose to be right here with us. So thank you so much. Uh, Hey, if you're a guest here today, welcome. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm gonna take one of the announcements off of Pam's plate right now. Hey, if you're a guest, we'd love to connect with you. We have a big green pillar out in the lobby there. It's called Guest Central. We even have a goodie bag uh, to show our appreciation for checking us out. But we've been in a teaching series called Awaken, and we're going through the book of Acts. And I have the honor and privilege to be able to give the teaching here today. Uh, You know, Pastor Ryan was blessed to go and be a part of a conference with his boss, uh, and they're traveling back here today. So if you think about it, maybe pray for travel mercies uh, for Pastor Ryan and Pastor Chris as they're traveling, and Pastor JB is with them as well. And so I was texting Pastor Ryan, like, hey man, how's the conference? How's it going? And he's like, it is spirit anointed. And it's like, man, that was so cool. I was like, man, I pray that you come back radiant like Moses. And then he sent me a really funny gif. And yeah, it was really funny. So it was really bright. Yeah, it was cool. So I'm thankful that uh, he has the opportunity to go and have these experiences because I know, knowing his heart, he's just going to come back and he's going to overflow all of that with us. And so we will be blessed with that as well. Uh, So we're in this teaching series called Awaken and we're going through the book of Acts. And really this is kind of like volume two of this guy named Luke. He wrote the gospel of Luke, which is all about the life of Jesus. He was a doctor and a physician, but he uh, wrote this other account called Acts, which is the Acts of the church in the beginning of the church. And we've been in this journey and uh, Pastor Ryan, he opened up chapter five last week. Man, that was a humdinger, huh? Like he reached out to all of us staff and said, hey, you guys got like any insights or anything that God's revealed to you in that? And he joked about it last week. I was like, yeah, good luck with that. But he did awesome. Did he not? Like, man, the reverence of God in sin is bad. Amen. And sin is so bad. We need to, we need to feel the weight of that. But even the week before that, he's talking about this dude named Barnabas and how he was this encourager. And so it was like this compare and contrast of being encouraged, but also understanding the reverence and respect, healthy fear, not fear that God's going to smite these sort of thing, but just fear and reverence for God. And I think we have to have those balances and really what we're going to cover today in Acts chapter five, starting, I shut the clicker. I did that last service. Starting at Acts chapter five, verses 12 through 16. So if you brought your Bibles, head over there. Awesome job if you brought your Bibles. If you didn't, you can open up your device. Uh, the YouVersion Bible app, it's a free Bible app. It's a wonderful place to start to engage God's word. You can take notes in it. You can do devotions. You can follow Radiant Life Church there. In fact, it, I like to call it the hamburger button. It's those three lines that are like that. So you got like the bun, the, the meat, and the bun. And, and so if if you hit that, that opens up a menu and there's events there. If you click on that, you should be able to see Radiant Life on there. Uh, it might ask for your GPS or something. 
But you can take notes there, which is really cool. So it's, it's more ways for us to be able to engage God's word. And so we're trying to give you guys tools to be able to do that. Also, I want to encourage you, take notes. Like seriously, jot things down. There might be one little thing that I say today like that God can use in your life for a long time. Not because I said it, but because God can use it. You got that? Okay, cool. All right, so Acts chapter five, and we're gonna start at verse 12. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna read the whole passage. It's like our home base. And then we're gonna go back into it and like, we're gonna nerd out. You guys ready to nerd out? Yeah, come on, let's go. You're darn right. Like we're gonna, because God's word in context, it's a game changer, right? Like when we begin to see God's word in the context that it was written and everything around that context, God's word comes alive because it's living and active, right? Yeah, like all the churchy people know that one. Cool. All right, Uh, Acts chapter five, verse 12. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. And as a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a multitude came together from the town surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And this is the word of God. Amen. Amen. So uh, right off the bat, if there's anything that you get today and if you're taking notes, understand that signs and wonders awaken the faith of others. I, I just, I hope that somehow, some way you begin to, to just have a handful of understanding that you grasp this idea that signs and wonders awakens the faith of other people. And I hope that by the time that we're done here today, we're going to walk away with a better understanding and really insight that we see that these signs and wonders have. So are you guys ready? Let's do this. All right. I love that you guys are fired up. That's going to get me even more fired up. All right. Verse 12, many signs and wonders. All right. We got to stop right there. The text isn't clear exactly what these signs and wonders are. It's not specific on what this is. However, I don't think it's a crazy thought that it was literally physical healings of people or exorcisms of spirits. And if anything, if you're like, you're here today or you're watching online, like, and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm probably going to give you more ammo about why Christians are weird. Like, supernatural, unseen realms, spirits, exorcism, like, that stuff can be weird. But I hope that you can still, like, sit with me and, like, listen and maybe entertain some of the thoughts that I have here today. But the text is not clear exactly what these signs and wonders are. And more than likely, it is healings and exorcisms because that's what Jesus did. The apostles followed in the footsteps of Jesus. One last reminder, the guy who's writing this, Luke, is a physician. He did medicine. I would imagine that people came to him looking for some sort of healing of whatever ailments that they had. 
But let's put ourselves in first century world because they didn't have the modern medicine that we have today, right? Yes, that was the correct answer. It wasn't a trick question, okay? So what they would do is they would do these votive offerings. Like if you had a problem with hearing, you would give up this votive offering. I'm gonna totally butcher this Greek God's name, so bear with me. I've been practicing all week. I've had to Google it a bunch, and I'm only gonna try to say it one time. You, you skippies, I think. <laughs> no, thank you, Pastor Josh. No heckling from the front. So you would, it's like, so we're in Roman world, Greek gods, right? So they would give up uh, these votive offerings. So if you needed hearing, you'd come and give this offering. If you just needed a healing touch of some sort, you would go to the gods and give an offering in order to find healing of whatever the thing is in your life. Here is the Greek god that I'm not going to try to say his name again at the expense of embarrassment. But I want you to notice something. Look at his staff. Have you ever noticed anything like this before? Have you seen this symbol before? Maybe you've seen it here on the ambulance. Now please, do not send hate mail to our public safety director who's actually keeping us safe right now out in the lobby, right? But isn't that fascinating that something from the first century world is still playing out in today's culture? Here, write this down to remind you to go Google this later. Look up the Nike symbol for shoes. Oh boy, yeah. Like there's still influence from first century world that's playing out in today's culture. And so I don't know what signs and wonders that were given here in this text and what Luke was thinking about, but as a physician in his world, they were thinking about Greek gods. And so for this Jesus guy to come on the scene and to begin to heal people, what God is that? What's that for a sign and wonder? Now Luke gives us another detail here in this verse. He says the apostles. Now I was never uh, good at English. In fact, one of my old English teachers is in the room right now and I wasn't a very good student then. But one thing I did learn was plural means multiple people, right? Like it's not singular. So the word apostles means more than one. This isn't talking about just Peter. Now I know Peter got mentioned in a couple of more sentences But even in the Greek language that this was written in, it was in plural form. So we have to understand that it wasn't just Peter that was doing these signs and wonders. The apostles, the followers of Jesus were doing that. And they were meeting where? It's in yellow words. It's not a trick question. Solomon's colonnade. So Luke gives us all kinds of details because that's probably what a doctor does. They probably take really good notes and, and like they give you all these details. So Solomon's colonnade. Now here's a model mock-up that you, if you go to Jerusalem, you can see this of the Temple Mount. And on that backside of the photo right there, that is Solomon's colonnade. It's a big, huge porch and it has these big huge pillars in it. In fact, here's a picture of the west side of the temple. Now those are really cool details because we also know in our text that it mentioned men and women. 
So we're at an area in the temple where men and women could go and Gentiles. But then there was an area that only Jewish women could go. And then there was an area where only men could go. And then there was the Holy of Holies. Like that's only where the priests could go. And so just knowing the geographical context that there's a lot of people who are gathering in this area. Now, depending how good of a note taker you are, you're like, I've heard about Solomon's colonnade before. We talked about this already in our teaching series, Awaken, and it was the story of Peter uh, and John and healing the guy at the beautiful gate. Check it out, Acts chapter three, verse 11. While he was holding on to Peter, this was the beggar, uh, Peter and John, all the people utterly astonished and ran towards them in what is called... You guys are getting better at reading the yellow words. Good job. Awesome. So there's already been a miracle that's taken place in this same area. We have to understand that. But there's another story. There's another story that involves Jesus that happened in this same area in Solomon's Colonnade. So if you put your finger here on Acts and you flip to your left over to John chapter 10, one of my favorite chapters in the, in the Gospel of John, uh, there's some really cool imagery about sheep and shepherds. And man, when you start nerding out on sheep and shepherds, that whole thing comes way alive. But we don't have time for that today. Okay, John chapter 10. Whoops, one too many. Uh, then the festival dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in? You can see, you guys are good. The Jews surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. I did tell you, and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works that I do... And you're going to notice he's going to repeat himself several times about the works that he's doing. Dare I say signs and wonders that Jesus did on behalf of the Father. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. Or they, they tell a story about me. That's another way to say it. But you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. And then Jesus, he kind of goes into this whole thing about sheep and shepherds and how the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And Jesus talks about how he is the great shepherd. But then the story continues after that. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. They were ready to kill Jesus in this moment. They considered him blaspheming, that he was making himself equal with God. And it's like, well, he is God. He's the son of man. He's Jesus. And the religious elite, they were so angry that they were ready to kill him. And Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? Like, forget all the stuff that I'm talking about. Just, just simply look at the works that I'm doing. Simply look at these signs and wonders that I'm doing in front of you. Jesus continued, if I'm not doing my father's works, don't believe me. But if I am doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I and the Father. And then they were trying again to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. 
which I would say is a sign or a wonder, the fact that he could be in a crowd of a lot of people and just kind of slip out. It'd be kind of like me in this moment. I'd say, one, two, three, close your eyes, and I kind of hurry up and sneak out. Someone's going to find me, right? Like, there's hundreds of people in this room. Like, like to me, that's a sign in wonder. Like, I wonder how Jesus snuck out of there. Like, that's really cool. So one really cool, amazing thing about being a communicator and teaching God's word is you just get to immerse yourself in commentaries and dictionaries and in the linguistics of everything. And like, I have to filter out so much because I don't want to keep you here for two hours. Like I'm barely keeping your attention right now. And so I like, I had to just stream out all of these things. But here's one really cool quote that I grabbed in prepping for the message from Kenneth Gagel. He says, Christian are responsible to proclaim the gospel and leave the results to God. Jesus was simply just doing the Father's work. It was up to God what he did with that. And I think for followers of Jesus today, it's up to us to proclaim the good news of Jesus. It's up to God what he does with that. But when we proclaim the gospel, when we share our story and his story, that allowed, like that's almost watering the seeds that Holy Spirit has put in people's lives. And it's our responsibility to proclaim that good news. Let's dive back into our text and see if there's anything else we can see. No one else dared to join them. Pause. If you missed last week, please go back and watch the message from last week. There were people who literally died instantly because they lied to God. They didn't lie to the church leaders. They, like, they lied to God. They were dishonest with him. And they died. And if you're not a Christian, that's probably pretty, even if you are a Christian, like that's pretty messed up. Like that's scary. I, I think there was an attitude that the church had during that time. But the people still spoke well of them. So in spite of this really scary, weird thing, people still spoke well of them. What about us? Like, how do people speak well of you? Regardless of what your political opinion is or views on the world, do people still speak well of you? Regardless if you have a difference of opinion with other people, can they still say, and still speak well of you? And that's a question like I really wrestle with. And then Luke continues. He says, believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers and multitudes of both men and women. So in spite of this scary thing that happened at the beginning of Acts chapter five, the church was blowing up. People were coming out of the woodwork. There was something that was happening within the church. I think there was something about the attitude of the people. And just to be clear, when I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about the people who gather together under the name of Jesus. I think there was something that was happening amongst those people and their attitude. And people outside of that saw something about that that attracted them. And the Lord added increasing multitudes, both men and women. Really cool insight on this uh, from uh, commentary David Guzik. He says, yet the church kept growing. 
Though people knew it was a serious thing to be a Christian, the Spirit of God kept moving with power. I think this early church took their faith serious. And I think that we saw the consequences of people not taking their faith serious. And what does it look like for this movement of people to go and encourage and to to live out our faith and proclaim this gospel? Imagine us right here. Imagine what could happen if we took our faith so serious that we began to be renewed and transformed in, in the image of Christ. What would begin to happen outside of the church? What if we took our faith so serious that we would continue to take our next steps? That we continue to find freedom and healing from emotional hurts and the baggage that we, we're not even meant to be carrying. We're supposed to put those things at the foot of Jesus. What would happen? Weird stuff happens. People would start bringing cots and mats out of six people hoping that someone's shadow would come out. Weird stuff would happen. But man, I love this story. I remember the very first time I read this years and years ago and my mind was blown about Peter in his faith. This crazy story that people would just hope that his shadow, like what kind of relationship with Jesus do you need to have that people would even consider bringing their sick out, hoping that his shadow would touch them. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down these other references and go and study these. Here's a couple of other stories that kind of illustrate this point. Luke chapter eight, there's this woman who suffered from bleeding for many, many years. She spent all of her money with modern medicine, modern medicine trying to be healed And she heard Jesus was walking by and she's in the midst of a crowd and sneaks up, doesn't say anything and touches Jesus' robe and she's healed immediately. And Jesus says, whoa, stop. There's power that has gone outside of me. And it's just crazy story. And I don't think it has anything to do with Jesus' robe. But then uh, in Acts chapter 19, we'll get there in like probably 10 years probably at the pace that we're going. But there's this cool story in Acts chapter 19, like with Paul and his face cloth, his handkerchief, like in his apron, because he was a working man, right? And they would take those cl- the clothing that he had wore and took it to the sick and they would be healed. These crazy signs and wonders, it's hard to describe, but it happened. And there's these crazy stories. And yet there's Peter and hoping that his shadow would touch some. I love uh, David Guzik's commentary on this. He says, there wasn't anything magical in the garment, talking about Jesus's garment and healing of the woman, but it was a way that her faith was released. In the same, there was no power in Peter's shadow itself, but there was power when a person believed in Jesus to heal them, and the passing of Peter's shadow may have helped some to believe. The apostles' faith awakened others' faith. The apostles' faith awakened others' faith. Man, I wish I could, man, all right, here we go. I wish I could do a whole sermon on this, and I'm going to try to do it in two minutes. 
Look at Peter, right? Like we're talking about him and his shadow. When was his faith activated? Go into the uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter four. There's this crazy scene with Peter's mother-in-law. She had a fever. Jesus came and healed her. And he's kind of like, eh. Then the next chapter, Peter is out fishing all night long. Jesus is on the shore. He's teaching. He says, Peter, can I use your boat so I can speak to this crowd? He gets done. He says, Peter, cast your net out there. And Peter's like, dude, I do this for a living. I fished all night long. I didn't catch a single thing. But fine, I'll cast my net out. And it began to rip. It was so full of fish. The the boat sunk. And Peter falls to his knees and says, get away from me, I am a sinner. His faith was activated by signs and wonders of fish. You would have thought it would have been his mother-in-law, but no, it wasn't, it was fish. <laughs> and maybe you're laughing because you like, like to go fishing and you have a bass boat and all that stuff, Right? But Peter's faith was activated in that moment. Man, I wish I could just go down this whole storyline of Peter all throughout the Gospels and him putting his foot in his mouth all the time, denying Jesus, being restored by Jesus. And then you get into one and second Peter. And oh man, he begins to write letters to the church. And it all started because his brother Andrew had this moment with Jesus and says, hey, he's the Messiah. And Peter's faith was activated by signs and wonders. So I think the question that we all need to wrestle with is, does your faith awaken the faith of others? Do people look into your life? Not that people are bringing cots out, hoping that people get healed because of your shadow, but will people's faith be awakened by your faith? And I wrestle with that. Maybe that's what your next step is, is to awaken your faith. Maybe your faith isn't awakening anybody else because like you're barely on life support. There's barely a blip on the screen. So what can you do to awaken your faith? What environment can you put yourself into to awaken your faith? Are we engaging in God's word each and every day? Do we spend time praying to our Heavenly Father? Do we get connected into biblical community? Because I tell you what, there's something I've really been chewing on when it comes to biblical community. Biblical community, it exposes and it encourages. It exposes sometimes the things that are in our life that isn't very Jesus-y. But at the same time, it's also an environment that encourages to be more Jesus-y. And that's why I love biblical community. But it takes a level of surrender. It takes a level of transparency to be raw, open, and honest with other people. And I get that. That can be a struggle. But what would happen, church? What would happen if we were willing to be transformed and renewed by Jesus, that we would awaken our faith, what would begin to happen all around us? There would be a multitude of people from all over coming around. I don't think it's too far of a stretch. If this was a movement of people whose faith was activated, you could just put different towns in here 
And some of you are traveling already here to Radiant Life, and thank you for doing that. But imagine how your communities would be impacted. It'd be like these little bursts coming out, right? You can see it, these expressions. All because our faith was awakened. The unseen realm, for a lack of words, these demons, uh, spiritual things, uh, devil, demon, angels, like all of that stuff. Like it can be weird. Like I, I, I do hear you on that. And I think it's really tempting and easy to kind of go into this world and just that's all we seek out are these unseen realm things, even though it is a reality, right? Go back to Genesis, Adam and Eve. That is where heaven and earth, they overlapped and Adam and Eve got to be smack dab in the middle of it. And I think it is a reality that sometimes this unseen realm does overflow into the earth, earthly realm. But that doesn't mean that there's a a demon around every corner and every bad thing that happens in our life. And I think it's a huge temptation to go in that road too far. Now, we as a staff uh, read a book from Stephen Elliott by Signs and Wonders and how the Holy Spirit uh, grows the church. How many years ago was that? Four or five years ago? four years ago. It was a while ago, but man, did that stimulate some really amazing conversation amongst the staff. And I just, I grabbed a handful of quotes uh, out of his book. I really encourage you to check it out. He's actually a Wesleyan pastor as well. In his book, he says, nevertheless, the observation is true. Supernatural events command the attention of the masses and bring about instantaneous faith. I think even based on the stories that have been shared here today and what we've read already, I think we can agree with that statement. There, there's times where like, I don't know how to describe that thing that happened, but it, it happened. Like you might even have a story of this crazy weird thing that you were supposed to do a phone call or a text or show up at this place at some weird hour and God just used that moment. I don't know how to explain it, but it was a real thing that happened. In fact, I even have a hard time sharing that story because of how weird it is. But the reality is it's true. Like I think supernatural things, they're true. They happen. Sometimes we don't know how to describe all those things. But we don't want to just spend all of our time searching out and looking for that stuff all the time. Sometimes it takes an extraordinary expression of God's love and mercy to break through the hardness, apathy, and indifference in people have towards God. Maybe that's your testimony, right? Like it took something, it took some sort of sign or wonder in your life for you to even step foot in this place right now, today. And maybe it's gonna take an extraordinary, an expression of God's love to break through that addiction, that addiction to, to, to drugs or to alcohol, to food, to shopping, to that negative attitude, to the gossip. And we're like, we're almost addicted to those things, but it's gonna take an extraordinary expression of God's love for us to break free of those addictions. And maybe some of you, you're a walking sign and wonder because you used to be gripped by these addictions in your life. And you saw the hand of God step into your life and help free you from those things. And maybe for some of us, like, yeah, that thing has got me so gripped. 
It's going to take an extraordinary expression of God's love to step into my life. And maybe that's what your next step is, is to have that faith to believe that God can step into that. Maybe it's gonna take an uh, extraordinary expression of God's love to get through that medical diagnosis. Let's not pretend like we've all been affected by this in some sort of form. I don't know how we're going to get through this. And sometimes God chooses to heal free from whatever that thing is. And there's other times he doesn't. There's times that God uses modern medicine today to heal people. And sometimes he just brings people home. But sometimes it's going to take an extraordinary expression of God's love just to walk that journey. And maybe that's a sign and wonder to other people. Maybe it'll take an extraordinary expression of God's love to stay pure before you're married. I mean, that in itself in today's culture is a sign and wonder. Watch any media, movie, or anything. To stay pure before you make that covenant and that promise before God. And it's going to take an extraordinary expression of God. Some sort of sign and wonder to not fall into that temptation. But the other side of that coin is maybe it'll take an uh, extraordinary expression of God's love to walk the single path. It's not always the next step to go get married. And the church has done an awful job of that. You don't have to get married. You don't have to go from one relationship to another. God may be calling you to a life of singleness. Paul was very adamant that it's better to be single because you can now use all the energies of being selfless to this other person to focus on your relationship with God. You actually will have more bandwidth and more time to spend with God. Instead of trying to be this Jesus person to this spouse. It's all right, the church has not done a good job uh, in their discipleship of that. Not everyone is called to be married and it's okay. And the church, we just, we've really messed that up. And it's okay to be single. And maybe you are a walking billboard of a sign and wonder by walking a single life. We're honoring the Lord within the boundaries of marriage. But once again, the disclaimer is we can't just be constantly looking for these signs and wonders. Man, Stephen Elliott, he totally hits it on this quote. He says, looking for signs and wonders can become incredibly self-serving. Ouch. Christian entertainment or a never-ending excuse for not surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, an apprentice, a disciple, all of us should be surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He should be guiding and directing all of our decisions that we make. 
I had this beautiful moment with one of my daughters yesterday. Uh, the other daughter was doing cheerleading and we're kind of walking to where we're sitting and she was just kind of describing how she wants to be a teacher someday. And she's talking like, I'm not, like, should I do that? Like what, like what classes do I need to do? And I love the questions that she was asking and I was trying to be engaged and in full honesty, I think she'd be a wonderful teacher. But I said, honey, the biggest question that you need to ask is, is that's what, is that God's will for you? Is God calling you to be a teacher? And it was this beautiful moment. Like I fully believe that she heard me in that moment. You get it. Like sometimes you're like, you're, you feel like you're talking to a wall when you're talking to your kids. But in this moment, I felt like she heard me. I felt heard. It was great. It's like maybe God is calling you to be a teacher, but maybe God is calling you to serve in some other part of the world. I have no idea. And I was trying to come up with this huge extreme. But God could be calling you to be a teacher. The biggest thing is, do we surrender to his lordship in our life and what God is calling us to? So another way to put this, man, one of my favorite commentaries from William Barclay He says, many desire the gifts of God, but repudiate the demands of God and there can be nothing more dishonorable. That idea of repudiate is to separate. Like we love to get a healing. We love to have the gifts of God, but man, we just want to separate us from what God's actually calling us to do. We want all the benefits of God, but we don't want to surrender ourselves over to God. And one of my favorite, I don't want to say favorite, one of the most challenging passages that I ever read is in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus, man, he makes it abundantly clear of what God is demanding of us. Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, if you want to take this whole faith thing serious, If you really want to call me rabbi, if you really want me to guide and direct your life, this is what I'm asking you to do. I want you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me. And as we all know, Jesus was nailed to a cross, a torture device where he died. And Jesus says, hey, look, If you want to follow after me, you need to die to yourself and your selfish needs, your selfish wants, and seek after my lordship in your life. He says, take up your cross, then follow me. And man, I wrestle with that. I stand before you as the most selfish person in this room. And to die to myself to die to my wife's needs and my children's needs. I wrestle with that. I'm so selfish. And Jesus says, hey, look, you need to nail yourself to the cross. He's not done. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Mind blow paradox. If you want to have an abundant life in Jesus, you need to die to yourself. There's nothing in all your willpower and anything that you can do to be the most Jesus-y that you can be. You need to die to yourself and then you'll have an abundant life. 
Jesus continued, he says, for what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the son of man is going to come with his what? Angels, unseen realm, in the glory of his father. And then he will reward each according to what he has done. Your best effort isn't going to get you into heaven. Only the blood of Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can we come into relationship with a perfect God. But there are expectations of our faith. Do we walk in such a way that people see maybe signs and man you used to complain all the time but I haven't heard you complain in forever you used to swear like a sailor but man now you don't you used to steal money but now you don't I don't know what it is but signs and wonders awaken the faith of others the unseen realm some things are explainable and some things aren't But signs and wonders awaken the faith of others. And so what's going to be really cool is here in a couple of weeks, we're going to take another off-ramp out of Awaken, and we're going to look at the unseen realm, the flesh, the spirit, signs and wonders. And I'm excited for that teaching series, especially in the month where we celebrate Halloween. Would you stand with me? We do this often. We ask this question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? So I want to encourage you, maybe even right now in this moment, close your eyes, nothing weird is going to happen. Prayer team, you can make your way down to the corners. And maybe just in your heart right now, just quietly in your mind, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Is my faith dead? Can you bring my faith back to life? Maybe ask Holy Spirit the signs and wonders that you've already seen in your life. Maybe for someone you need a sign and wonder right now in this moment to activate or to awaken your faith. And so when we sing this next song, I want to encourage you, if you're that person, come down to one of the corners and allow the prayer team to lift you up in prayer. But just say, Holy Spirit, what, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, is, is there something that you're trying to reveal to me? Ask God that. I fully believe he'll reveal that to you. And now the question that you have to wrestle with is, what are you going to do about it? If God just revealed whatever that is to you, now what are you going to do about it? Hear me, friends. Like, yeah, I get passionate and all that stuff. And sometimes I can be really direct which can come off rude and I don't mean to. But catch this with me. 
if all of us in this room right now, maybe even the friends and family online, what if, what if we began to surrender ourselves, put ourselves on the cross, bring Jesus's lordship into our life, we allow healing and transformation to happen in our life, what would begin to happen with all these people in here? And then people outside would be like, hey, what's happening over there? There's a fire happening. The fire of revival will affect our families, our communities, where we live, work, and play. But it's going to start with our own faith being awakened. And it can't be your mom's faith or your dad's faith. It can't be Pastor Ryan's faith. It can't be my faith. It needs to be your faith in Jesus Christ. And what does it look like to awaken that faith inside of us? A revival is going to break out, friends. Multitudes from all around are going to be like, what in the world is happening there? Let me tell you about my friend Jesus. Let me tell you about the freedom and healing that I found in my relationship with him. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about this comforter, this helper, the Holy Spirit that has come into my life. Let me tell you about him. And then the revival happens. So if you haven't figured it out yet, we're gonna sing God of Revival. But don't just sing it because it's a really cool song. May this be a war cry against the enemy of our soul that we deeply desire to have an awakening in our heart and a revival in our heart, not for us. Sure, we get the benefits of it, but for the world to experience a revival.